there. This is Larry Hankin. You listen to the Canned Air podcast. Listen some more. I'm even on it. That's how great it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And joining us this week, man, this is truly a freaking honor because anybody who owns a TV or has been to a movie has seen this gentleman's face. You've probably seen him in Escape from Alcatraz, Armed and Dangerous, Home Alone, Billy Madison, Breaking Bad, Seinfeld, Friends, and the list just keeps going on, but I don't have that kind of time. Or that breath. Or that <laughs> much breath. We welcome writer, actor, comedian, and painter Larry Hank into the show. Larry, thank you so much for being here. Well, no, thank you. I, I, there's no way I could follow that, so. so I'll see you. <laughs> I didn't think he was there at first. Did I build you up too much? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Okay. Just hunky door. No. Okay. <laughs> no complaints from me. <laughs> We've got a good episode for you today in our retro roundtable. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite, and uh, I guess maybe in my case, maybe some of the least favorite experiences <laughs> cool, in, in, in cool in movie theaters. <laughs> and then we're going to be turning our full attention over to Larry and talking more about his amazing career. But before we do all that, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. If you like what you're doing, excuse me, if you like what we're doing, you want to show some support, head over to patreon.com forward slash CandairPod. $5 a month gets you in on the Candair Patreon pod. Randy, what am I forgetting? So every morning, check us out 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Redline Radio. And then Jack and I kind of do a little thing every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. where we just play a live game show and play around with us and potentially win some prizes. There you go. Play around with Jack and Randy and win prizes. How about that? I'm going to do that just that tomorrow. Awesome. Well, by the time people hear this, it will already have happened. So I guess that was kind (laughs) of... You can go back and watch it, I guess. There you go. There you go. (laughs) All right, let's kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable. And here we go. I'll be back. (laughs) All right, gentlemen, our favorite movie theater experiences. Who's going to kick us off? Go, Randy. Okay. So it's not so much a specific movie, but um, in my town, I live in Delaware, Ohio. Um, it's an old college town built in like the 1800s, and they have an Haunted old... as fuck, too. Yes, yes. But they have an old theater there uh, called The Strand that was an old vaudeville theater. and um, Probably haunted as well. Definitely haunted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but over the years, rather than just completely modernize it, they've modernized it, but they've kept a lot of the old woodwork and a lot mm-hmm. of the old stage and balcony and kind of set so you walk in there and it's it's very authentic i mean it's like a a trip through history seats are as uncomfortable as hell and it's hot as hell in there in the (laughs) summer but uh, it's just it's real fun to go in there and just kind of experience history like piece of history in delaware ohio yeah exactly and then the seats are squeaking all through the movie (laughs) old theaters are cool except for the seats the ohio theater is the exact same way it's a gorgeous theater when you go in and that's not a movie theater now i mean it's actual like stage for like performances and stuff but the seats are so fucking horrible that i (laughs) i've always found myself anytime i've been there standing in the back watching the show because i cannot sit in those seats (laughs) they are horrible i mean especially you know i've got a bony frame so my mm-hmm. ass, it's just straight ass on on board, you know. There's no cushion there for me to sit on. So 
Anyway, Larry, let's cut over to you. Uh, favorite or least favorite movie theater experience, sir? How, how about <laughs> the weirdest? Oh, that's even experience. better. I'll take it. <laughs> I guess I, I, I one point in in my in my youth, um, I got an Academy. Well, I was I wanted to make a, a film. I just wanted to make a film. That was all I wanted to do. A film short. Uh, and uh, the guy who I got to do the cinematographer, well, the cinematographer, free or at a very low price, a really good guy uh, in his art form. But he only would do it if we could enter it into some contest. He wanted to get something out of it. So I, I, so I agreed to it. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll enter it. Yeah, okay, fine. And he did it. He did a really good job, and he helped me. He even let, he kind of helped me direct. But it won an Academy Award nomination, and, wow. and that was really amazing. But to get into the Academy Award, even get near it, the film, any film that you want to enter, uh, whether it's a feature or a film short, has to play three uh, performances, three days, in uh, um, a movie theater with a paying audience in L.A. County. That, that's one of the rules. Really? Uh, and, of course, the, the entire world uh, tries for, for a year before that, whatever year it is, to book a theater for three days you know even from india from japan from so by the time we got to it and got our our shit together we there was no theaters for us and he really was i said you know it's okay you know i'll do it another time i mean i didn't know the importance of the oscars or any of that i was i was a new kid but he was very insistent, and he finally got a theater. And I go, wow, man, how did you do that? What did you have to pay or whatever? He says, no, it's a pornographic movie theater. <laughs> and he said, well, I go, well, he says, no, it, it counts. It's a paying audience. It counts, man. I called the Academy. It counts. So we can at least enter, man. And I said, oh, my God, I got a new girlfriend. I told her I was bragging about how we may get in the academy. No, I can't. And then when I, I, I told her, she thought it was some sort of trick or something. So it's very kind of, you know, happy but kind of embarrassing. Anyway, when I went in, I thought, okay, we're going to go see it. So the first night, it was going to, you know, be a film short before the porno movie. But okay, so we went in, and it was like seven o'clock or something. We went in there, and we sat down, and there was only, strangely, ten men in the audience, and they were all separated, very, very far, <laughs> almost like a COVID thing, almost like they were afraid of COVID or something, and they were all wearing like COVID. I mean, it was a cliche, man. It really was. But the fun was to come because I didn't know that Harry, the cinematographer. Um, uh, only gave this Pussycat Theater, uh, I think that was the name of it, uh, he only gave him a work print. So it wasn't color corrected, and it had it was, uh, it was had the grease pencil marks on it. You know, cut here, zaga, 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 right. X, X, all the way through it. But it counted if we could put it up there for three nights, and they agreed, you know. So, so these porno guys, the guys in there who were waiting for a pornographic movie, there was no announcement, like, ladies and gentlemen, first we're going to show uh, a comedy, a first-time comedy film short, and then we'll get to the, none of that. So they're waiting, and here's the opening shot of my movie was just a waitress, and they thought, okay, great, we're going to get her, all right, who's going who's gonna to get her? And then comes this homeless guy, me, and he goes, oh, 
a homeless guy and a waitress. Great, man. And then another businessman come in. A tr- okay, a, a menage. Wow, it's Bingo. getting better and better. And you see, they're getting restless and everything. But of course, it's just a holdup, and nothing really horny happens. Uh, and the the expression, and this is the weird part: the expression and the letdown from behind. You're sitting in the back of these ten disparate guys, just. Had his shoulders sort of, what the fuck just happened, man? <laughs> and then the movie ended. I but can't get that, off to you this. Know, you could see them getting restless and what the heck, we paid our money and nobody took their clothes off. What was That experience was just was stick in my mind forever. But ha-ha, it got an Academy nomination. Grease pencils and all. Ha-ha, you guys. Thank nice. you, Pussycat Theater. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Pussycat Theater. But yeah, that's the weirdest that I can come up with at the moment. <laughs> that's amazing. That is amazing. Jack, we are over to you, sir. Yeah. I can't even compete with that. Story. <laughs> I know. I don't know what I'm going to say right. after that. Like, what have I got to compete with that? So, I'm usually... sorry, guys. Oh, no. Please don't be. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess has to outdo the cast. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 3D movies have never been as good as when I went and saw Avatar in the theater. Oh, yeah. You know, I had that movie on my oh, list. Yeah. I, we'll say visually it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I, I, yeah. I couldn't get into the movie itself, really. I've never seen it. I've tried watching it on TV, and I, I can't because it, it doesn't look anything the It's same. the visual display. Yeah, that makes it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. yeah. Everything yeah. about yeah, that. I would imagine. Especially when they're flying in the ships, and you could see the depth. It was like you were sitting in there looking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And exactly. you know, there was a scene of the movie where uh, there's a bunch of them around. I, I can't. It's I haven't seen it since the theater. I think there's right. some like big tree of life kind of thing. Right. And there's all these kind of like things floating yeah. around, lights yeah. floating around, and just oh, that thing, yeah, yeah. And then in that 3D uh, world, it was so amazing because there are so many movies that. I can't even think of a good example, but I know there are some that, you know, they advertise this is going to be in 3D. And then when you drop the money to see it in 3D, you're like, what the fuck was the point of that? Mm-hmm. There yeah, might that be did. something that there's a little bit of depth to, but yeah. nothing. Uh, like well, Guardians yeah, of the yeah, Galaxy. Yeah, emotional thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, get, I can't go near the edge of a cliff. You know, it's one of those things. It just weirds me out. And, and some movies, that 3D thing, I can get that emotional feeling of, whoa. Yeah, yes, uh, definitely. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't work, but when it does, it it, it really catches you off guard. You go, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah. So when IMAX was, when they were riding yeah. those flying things, you know. Oh yeah, no it's like when you're talking about in the tree and then the little wispy things flying around. I clearly remember. Oh, oh yeah, trying to get them, <laughs> blown them out of your face. Like it was in my face. Get out of here. Like, I'm trying to watch a movie. Go away. Yeah, I was like you guys. I thought it was like kind of a novelty because the last 3D movie I'd ever seen was probably when I was little at the, uh, the at Disney, the uh, Captain EO, the Michael Jackson oh, yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah. So I just never paid attention and went and seen this with Julie because I think the uh, literally was the only thing, the only open theater was for the 3D. And now it's like I can't see any other 3D movies if it doesn't hold up to yeah, that level yeah. of Avatar. Yeah. And again, I wish I could think of a good example of what doesn't live up. But uh, again, Guardians of the Galaxy, space, you know, the ship, you know, being able to like see the perspective of inside the ship out the windshield, mm-hmm. like all That's that. That's about all you get in those movies. Really cool. Though. That are like the jets of, if there's any kind of fire effect, it usually gives a little bit more of a, a different effect 
with the glasses on versus right. watching. But usually that's about it. Yeah, nothing stands up to Avatar. But isn't that kind of isn't that kind of the way that they're, that they're made? I mean, the reason that they're made. I heard some really cool, you know, author the other day saying that um, they always ask the you know the guys with the, the money, the green light guys, always ask, you know, well, what is the engine of the film? You know, and maybe effects that emotional effect of you know 3D or whatever is in fact the engine. In other words, you just go for that. People don't care what the story is. I, I mean, right. I imagine because yeah. sometimes I don't know what what the hook is. Right. That's and, what brought me you know, to Avatar. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, that's what took me yeah. to Avatar. I mean, the effects were were amazing in that in that picture. But I mean, I also kind of dug the story. I was paying attention. You know, I know because uh, I generally if something fades, I'm going. Now, who is that guy? What? Why is he? Why am I? Why is he important? You know, I just lose complete. And then I have to pick up when something interesting happens. Yeah, yeah, but why am I watching this? What's the connection? You know, and I think maybe some some movies are made that way. You just have some. Somebody once told me when I met, when I made my film short, he said, you know, it got any rules for me? When well, what should I pay attention to? He said you have to have uh, seven bumps. Seven laughs, seven scary things, seven weirdnesses, seven... If you got seven, and he was talking about, uh, I think it was 15, 10 to 15 minutes. If you got seven and But I think he was even talking about screenplays. So, I mean, it's, it's weird what people in the business judge movies by, as opposed to what fans are watching. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, like it's a straight calculation for them. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, it's unnerving because I'm trying to write a screenplay and I'm trying to pay attention to, you know, all the do's and don'ts and you got to do this and don't pay attention to that and whatever. And I'm going, that's crazy, man. It's just, you know, what about a good story, you know? Just tell a story. Then worry then, about the 3D. I, well, I, <laughs> well, I think I, I actually figured out why because I've been paying attention, I guess. It's in the old days... You could get to people who gave you the green light, or you can get very near to them. We always used to say there's just between you and the green light is one fucking asshole. But <laughs> yep. that was all, just one, and you could identify him, and you knew who he was, and you could get around him maybe through a friend, but you, you had a generalization of where you're going. But now there's so many people writing screenplays that they need filter systems that's like 10 or 15 deep and yeah that's the only problem i mean it has nothing to do with the rules i mean they're making up rules just as a filter but you you know if you wrote a great story i don't know you would think this day and age too with that many filters that many levels of quality control how many times we said it on the show Hmm. That you just have top-notch stuff out there, but no, I mean, yeah, there's, there's yeah. times you see shit that you're like, how did this make it through 15 <laughs> levels of assholes? Like, how? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just bought this book. It said, you know, how to get past the assholes. I think that's a good title for a book, but I, I just made that up. It's not... <laughs> but, um, but it was a book of, of, you know, how to get through, I think it was a festival... How to get a how to how to get awards at a festival? How to get through the readers? How to get through the filters? It's one of those books, and and it said that you know there's just so many darned rules, but like, but the rules were so. I guess I don't know what you're going to find out. They were saying spelling counts. 
like in other words it wasn't like rules for story it was rules for like kindergarten people in other words, they're, they're, they're getting stuff where they're going, okay, let's just stop this because nobody's paying attention to anything, never mind a good story. People are just typing whatever comes out of their head and not filtering it, it you know, before it leaves the room. You know, they're just sending this. No, I, I, I know what they're talking about because every time something gets popular, you know, it, it starts to fade into... The average, you know, because just so much people get jumping on that train. So right. I can understand why, but but that's what you're fighting, and that's the reality. And uh, just figuring out new ways to get through. I guess it's an old challenge. How do you get to the guys, you know? Even if you got a great story. One guy told me, he said, here's the way, a twist. You gotta have a twist. <laughs> What was it M. Night Shyamalan by chance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what he's talking about. I'm sure he loved that movie. <laughs> sure. I, I think it was the guy who wrote and directed it. I think that's the guy I was talking to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Um, I guess my choice is going to have to be, and this is really harking back to what Larry just said a little bit ago, you know, about some of those 3d movies or the IMAX movies, you know, it feels like you're actually walking to the edge of a cliff or, you know, when like flying on the back of those animals, they really take you on a ride that mm -hmm. you can't help, but you know, all mm -hmm. your senses are telling you you're here. Right. It's the ride. Yeah. I think it's the ride. Yeah, exactly. That's when they say story. It's the ride. Yeah. Well, they have actually taken this formula and put it into a ride, you know, not only uh, in Disney, they've made an avatar ride, which looks pretty incredible. It's, it's more of like a uh, hanging ride, I think, where they just kind of wave you around in front of a screen, but I haven't experienced that. What I've experienced, because typically when it comes to rides, even at your county fair, Jeremy's out. Yeah. yeah anything yeah. that goes loop-de-loop, -loop, anything mm. that fucks with my senses, I don't want a part of it. <laughs> but I found myself years ago, uh, Brooke and I, we went to uh, Universal Studios. And I'm such a Simpsons fan. And they have a whole little section of the park there that's all Simpsons, and they have the Simpson ride. I'm like, this is going to make me sick as hell. But I've got to do it because I love The Simpsons. And essentially what this ride was is you're in a cart that isn't uh, like on a path or anything. It's stationary. It's kind of like, uh, you remember the old Top Gun or was it Top Gear at Kings Island? It was like a NASCAR experience. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. just sat in a theater and the seat yeah, jarred yeah, you back and right, forth. Yeah. So the, right. the cart kind of moved in that way. But after you got into the cart, it rose up into a total like dome kind of like a planetarium dome almost and uh you know everything was projected around you you had on the 3d glasses and then your cart was shaking and you know at any given moment i could take my glasses off and probably close my eyes and look down if nausea were to take over and you know find myself again you know bring my senses back down but mm -hmm. like larry was saying there's so many times of that ride where, like, I felt like I was flying through the air, you know, dangling from the top of a dilapidating roller coaster. Like, it pulled you in. It was incredible. It made me sick as hell. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I didn't do another yeah. thing the rest of the day. Yeah. But, you know. uh, some people are, are, are into that, you know, A and B is how how easily are, we can be fooled into yes. getting that emotion, you know, mm. just by a screen and a, a shaking chair. Because I've been on that. 
kind of ride. And yeah. Yeah, I really felt like I was flying or zoom. Even when you go downhill, I thought, that, how can they fake that? But they even got me on that, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, I felt like I was going down and I was stationary. They were just tilting it in a certain I don't know. I thought I was, and that's just it. Know, like we the tilt they hill. put on it is like hardly anything at all. But it's it it's that like little it's bit more. of tilt mixed with what you're seeing and your your yeah. mind telling you you're about to fall off this cliff. You know, like <laughs> yeah, and they're making to... millions on that. You know, I, I, yeah, even on on TV, I'm, I'm, I'm when I watch it, I'm such uh, such removed from the the commercial. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm because as a filmmaker, I'm just. I'm looking at how they put it together and what the tricks are. I'm, I'm looking for how they put that together because it's so fine, you know, or mm-hmm. how they get that performance. Yeah, and I, I see it's it's, it's all that, a, a trick and easily done if you know how to do it. It's like yeah. a magician. I mean, the trick is really easy, but you don't know that. <laughs> you think, well, no. where'd it go? If I did, we wouldn't have magicians. We yeah. certainly wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's what that stuff is, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's all around us, you know? Right. More, more and more. And you're to that kind of... And, I mean, it works great in movies and, and for telling stories. It, it really... I mean, that's... I remember I used to tell stories in front of, you know, I was in the... The Boy Scouts or something. I actually got out clean. Nobody bothered me. That's cool. <laughs> but but when I, was, I was so lucky. It is lucky. I got to I gotta stories, say. You know, even when I was, yeah. But I used to tell stories. And one one day uh, there was this. Uh, they, you know, they made these TP fires where you know it was as big as a TP logs, as big as a yes. TP, and they set it on fire and stuff. And they told me to go tell a scary story in front of it. And I was like, I don't know, 14 or 15. Couldn't be more than that. I was a, you know, Cub Scout or something. And so I, I was telling this story. And just out of nowhere, just as I was going to say, yeah, and the big monster comes out and grabs you, you know, the teepee behind me caved in. And you know, <sighs> with a big flare, yeah. And the kids got so incredibly scared. It just blew my mind, you know. And the timing was impeccable. They were talking about it for, you know, days. But that kind of thing, you know, I was in the forest, man. There was just, you know, tents and this teepee burning behind me. And those kids, though I don't remember it for a long time, or probably did. Uh, it's the same thing in movies with, you know, Avatar. Yeah. You know, but they can do it, get me in, in a... And that... It's really cool because I'm a storyteller, but also I, I'm I'm on guard, man. I get phone calls, people trying to sell me stuff, you know, just you know, and then they say click number one. That's the catch, you know. <laughs> I listen to them, but then they say click number one, and then I hang up. But the the stories they come up with are pretty cool. Right. I mean, you know, they're crafty. They know, you know, they they know. I, I guess they know old people are getting hip to the scam because they're the um they're the targets right anybody over 55 man it's just you know they got money in the bank and we want it Uh, (laughs) but the stories they come up with is just on guard everybody everybody out there even what i'm saying i could be lying to (laughs) you right now don't trust them don't trust him either I love what he's saying about that story at the Boy Scouts. That's so cool how if something like that to happen, and you totally see why it works. You know, if you go to like a rock concert, and uh, I don't know, when I go to rock concerts, I must be the most boring person to go to a rock concert with because I'm not 
drinking, getting stupid and dancing. I love to yeah, watch it, it, the show. Mm-hmm. I love to watch the audience and I love mm-hmm. to see what they're doing to make the audience respond, especially with lighting. And let me tell you what, no yeah. audience can turn down a white light being turned up on them. No. They all go <laughs> fucking crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every time. Oh, it's like a tropism now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be <laughs> but cool. it's just that that perfect timing and uh man how cool yeah. that would have been to uh have that happen while you're telling that story though a young michael Bay have you in ever the taken a, yeah have you ever taken a, a just a regular camera you know you buy off the shelf to, to any kind of party and you, you just walk around turning it on and as soon as you turn it on somebody, somehow they brighten up like they just took something. Yeah. They just go, oh, hi. Oh, hi. Or they wave a beer can at you. Or they toast you. Or yeah. No, that's a tropism. It's, I think it's inbred. I think that uh, I've never seen monkeys do it. So I, I think we That's really cool. Yet. Let's go to the zoo. Yeah, yeah, really. Let's test this theory. Yeah, yeah, right. Let's go to Walmart. Except the ones in the zoo. <laughs> you turn a camera on them and they throw excrement at you. That's what they do. It's a, it's a tropism. Anyway. I think we got to the bottom of some shit. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, very good. I, I enjoyed all those stories thoroughly. That was that was perfect. But I'm even more excited now to uh, turn attention over to Larry and just talk more about your amazing career. Uh-oh. Man, I was not... Uh, oh, not just me now. Oh, oh yeah, we're talking about you. And I wasn't trying to just puff you up, yeah. saying it was an honor earlier. It okay. truly is. I've seen you on TV okay. for years, and you must not like that kind of stuff. I'll, 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 yeah. I'll quit gloating over you. He's gonna start throwing feces. <laughs> yeah. So, how was it, man? I, I know before you were acting, you were uh, doing comedy. How'd you get into comedy? And can you tell us a little about your comedy career? It's a defense mechanism. I mean, you know, Richie Pryor said, you know, when he got busted in jail, he said, man, I just kept those cons laughing, man, because uh, I didn't want to be anybody's girlfriend. That's Richie <laughs> Pryor. You know, that's, so, and, and, and it's true, uh, you know, it's some sort of defense mechanism. But I, I learned it when I was a kid. I remember, you know, there was bullies, and I was a tall, thin kid when I was uh, But, you know, kind of. Little, little, little funny. That I, I didn't think I was funny, but I guess people. But anyway, uh, I was being pushed around, and then um, I guess I was the class clown and didn't know it because a guy, a bully, was pushing me around. He said I was, I was walking with his girlfriend because we had the same class. This was in high school, maybe I was a freshman or something, and uh, we had the same class. But there's, you know, the bully came up. You know, oh, what are you doing, my girlfriend? No, nothing. We're just talking, you know, man. So he started pushing me around. And then a crowd came around, and uh, I don't know. It was broken up, but I, I had. I remember thinking I would. She started to stick up for me. No, he wasn't doing anything. Leave him alone, you know. Come on, you know, Vinny, stop it or whatever. And she's, she was, and I'm, I'm thinking I'd rather be beaten up by Vincent. And have you protect me, please? Just leave me alone. I can't. I can't take that kind of, you know, publicity. <laughs> uh, maybe, but but he he could take me, you know, just like that. He was a wrestler, I think. So anyway, cut two. Two days later, I see Vincent coming into the lunchroom, this big, huge lunchroom, and with his arm in a sling. And I'm thinking, wow, man, you know, cool. And I go, what happened to Vinny? And he said, did he get into a fight with you a couple of days ago? 
I go, no, he wanted to start a fight with me, and he was pushing me around. We had a big crowd around us, and then somehow his girlfriend stopped him. <laughs> but yeah, I guess. He says, oh, well, a couple of guys said that he had uh, hurt you in some way or was pushing you around. They broke his arm is what they did. And I go, holy cow, wow. just because I made them laugh? I go, whoa, that's... Uh, you know, and I go, holy cow, I got to watch. I got to watch it on both ends. You know, I got to watch out whose girlfriend I w- walk with, and I got to make sure these guys know about it. But but other than that, I, I suddenly realized I am funny, I guess. I mean, that somebody got hurt because I was maybe talking about it, you know, in a funny way. So, yeah, I, I guess that's always it. And then when I graduated college, I just tended to get up on stage. And, uh, you know, and I went... I, yeah, I just thought I'd be the funny guy. But unconsciously, really, really so. I never paid attention to it until I had to make a living at it because I had to pay rent, you know. So I thought, well, what's the easiest way I could make money at, at something that I know how to do? And I thought, well, Monday night, open mic nights. And so I started doing that in, the, in Greenwich Village after I graduated college. I was a stand. I was a um, <laughs> a stand-up industrial designer. I, I was industrial designer. I got a degree in industrial design because my parents wanted me to go to. Yeah, but I never followed it. I never wanted to do it, but I wanted to please my parents. I was one of those kind of guys, kind of a nerd kind of guy. You know, like, well, I don't want to go to college. You know, I just no. You got to go. You got to go. You know, to, why? Because then you have to take care of us, and then you know you'll make a good living, and then you know. Uh, so they had that in mind. A doctor or a lawyer is really what they had in mind. And I, I, the closest I could get to an art school even was industrial design, and they heard, they heard industrial. And so they said, okay, you know, go there. And I did. But when I graduated, I went to Greenwich Village with my best, my best friend. Hey, he's still my best friend, I guess. Carl Gottlieb, you know, he wrote Jaws and stuff. He, he's, a, he's a good writer. Uh, so he said, let's go to Greenwich Village because he wanted to write, you know, maybe review movies and stuff. So I said, OK. So I, you know, I, I was going to go to Detroit and design cars, but I didn't want to do that. So I, I, I so I was uh, cleaning up in bars uh, from uh, duck boards, you know, behind the bars, you know, these mm-hmm. duck boards. I was cleaning yeah. that from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. They locked me in. I was the only oh, guy wow. in there. If I see another peanut shell, I'll probably kill somebody. <laughs> uh, but but they, they, the chef would come in and let me out, and I was stealing food from the you know from the larder, from from the storeroom because I was starving, man. Uh, so, but then I, I quit after two weeks because I figured if they started counting up stuff, I was stealing like a side of bacon a week. So oh. I think they would know. <laughs> He's taking so our bacon. Yeah, yeah, right. But it was great, you know. I mean, I would put the slab behind me, and I would wear a raincoat that night so that oh. the raincoat would cover up from the back, and I would just slip out the door, and I would wait for him by the door, turn my back to him so he wouldn't see the bump. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I had it all worked out, but you only could work two weeks. Uh, and then finally, I started doing open mic nights, and uh, I was uh, very bad at first, really bad. It's not telling jokes, you know, like like we're hanging out with you guys and telling jokes to you. If I get up on the stage, there's a whole different thing that goes on that's totally different, and I didn't know that. I thought, well, you know, hey man, I was funny in high school. I could be, hung. and then I, I have a good learning curve, I think, because I could I I could remember laughs. That was the key. 
you could remember laughs. I would remember today. I can't do it now, but if I got up on stage for five minutes and got three laughs, the next night I could remember what set up the three laughs. Okay. And mm-hmm. I don't know how I did that even. It was a ref- reflex or something. It happened automatically. I started to notice it. I could recall. So I got like hunks. I started to save them up. These setups and jokes that they laughed at. And I would, but in my head, I never wrote anything down ever in my life wow. did I ever write anything down. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I don't, I would just get up on stage and kind of start talking to the audience. You know, I guess I, I, I crossed the line between audience and just friends of mine, like they were my buddies. Okay. But they're, you know, like an arena. I was opening for Miles Davis and Eleven Spoonful and, you know, big, you know, but I could, I don't know how I did that because you have to be, you have to feel really relaxed on stage. And I'm not that, that wow. cool at it. But then, so that's how I, and then I, I had to quit because they were, the cops were pulling me off the stage because I was just talking about anything that came into my head, like <laughs> Lenny and like George Carlin and like, you know, Richie Pryor. You know, and they were like kind of ahead of me, and they had a little more aim than I did because I, I thought I was in it for the fun and the laughs, not for the glory. I did, you know, I was just hanging <laughs> on stage, you know, and I'll, I'll open for you, sure, you know, boom, boom, boom. But then when, you know, people came out, we know you can't talk about breasts and penises, you can't do that. No, you get off the stage, and they come out with beer bottles and stuff. No, marijuana, no, man, no. <laughs> Cops and I called my manager, uh, who at the time was Woody's manager. You know, I said, "Hey, man, what's going on? You don't have television material." That's what he told me. You don't have television material, man. They came to see Kingston Trio. These are television people. They don't know about what you're talking about. So he said, "Why don't you join Second City?" Which I did. He said, "You know, they do what Richie is doing and, and George is doing, but they own the theater, so you can talk whatever you want." You know. So that's what I did. I auditioned and I got in. And that kind of was the entree to acting because then a couple of us divided off about two or three or five of us headed to San Francisco right as the 60s hit, the 62, 61, 62, Berkeley, Mario Savio, you know, protests, uh, Nixon, the war. Mm. And we were in the center of it. We were like second city in San Francisco. And people from L.A. were flying up, you know, like crazy to hear these, you know, protesting, satirical, funny people. Yeah, they were great. The director was great. He was a very angry guy. And he could get off through us because, you know, he would just aim us. He would bring the newspaper into rehearsal. (laughs) I'd say, we're getting this guy this week. He would bring in the, yeah, he would buy the newspaper on the way to rehearsal. And, you know, he'd look at the headlines and he'd go, well, kind of like... who was that, you know, comedian who was a stand-up comedian? He used to bring a newspaper, and he got his entire act from the day's newspaper. He could just—he was really Mort Salt. It was kind of like Mort Salt. He would come in, the director would come in like Mort Salt, and he would read us the newspaper. And he'd say, "Let's get this guy," or "How about talking about this?" or "How about doing a couple of scenes about that?" So, no matter what the audience handed to us, we would kind of aim it towards, you know, uh, uh, machoism. Or, you know, freedom or justice or, you know, something large. And then maybe something local, you know, like the police or local protests. or. But uh, they would be flying up from L.A., which was 30 to $35 a round trip. I mean, that was, are you kidding? They would go up, see San Francisco, see a show, fly back. 
people who we couldn't get to see if we went down to Hollywood. No way. And they would come up to see us. So we were all being hired to go do a, you know, a day or a week with a sitcom, which is what happened to me. And then I got an agent, uh, Laverne and Shirley, uh, um, um, Penny Marshall came up oh, and she, wow. she called me down and she said, Hey, you know, I need a tall, thin guy. You're a tall, thin guy up there. Come on down. I know we're doing a prom dance thing. Laverne and Shirley, you know, going to a prom dance. So, you know, she, her brother was the owner of it, of the, of the show. So she could cast anybody she wanted. So she got me down there, and that's how I got a, an agent. He, he saw me on it. <laughs> he said, he told me how he, he got me. You know, he he stuck his head. What he would do is he would walk around all the agencies. They, they kind of used to be piled up together in Hollywood, you know, and around in Beverly Hills. So you could you could walk or drive around and see about five or ten agents to see what's going on, just interview so he would go in and he popped into the uh, Laverne and Shirley when it was a hit. He said, anybody interesting come through here? And the secretaries knew him. So they said, yeah, yeah, a tall, thin guy. I don't know, Larry, somebody. Oh, does he have an agent? No, no, he just, we, you know, we just talked to him. No, oh, okay, call him. He called me. They gave me my number. He called me. Do you got an agent? No, no, I don't. Um, yeah, you want one? Yeah, because if you don't have an agent, or manager in Hollywood, you're nobody. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, it's not being a star; it's getting an agent or a manager. I've talked to people who have, you know, you got an agent or manager, yeah, and they talk different than people who don't. I mean, it's like an <laughs> ego thing, or like having a car. It's you know, you are your car in Hollywood, like that, like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember once, you know, after you shoot a a, a pilot, you know, you're the guest, so they know each other for, for weeks and weeks and months. They've been acting together. They're the, the regulars. But you're a one-off. You come in for a week, you know, you know, and you, so they huddle up. I remember they were talking about getting the new cars, and they talked talk about, yeah, so they were talking about the extras that they got with the new cars. So they were saying, yeah, well, where where is it? They said, well, we got it in a dashboard. I said, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, the GPS. You know, the cars now come with them. This is a couple of years ago, many, many years ago. So then, then the cars are coming with GPS. And he said, oh, yeah, well, mine is in the dashboard. It's just set right in there. They, it's built in on the dashboard. I said, well, where's yours? Well, I have a button. It closes. You know, you can open it so you, you don't see it. And then mine is, well, mine is near the steering wheel. It's like that. And, and then they turn to me, and I go, where's yours? And I go, oh, well, I put it on the dashboard. It's got, like, suction cups, and you go to the mirror. And, they go, and they would talk to me the rest of the conversation. <laughs> GPS thing. It was like I was well. I, we don't know how to talk to you. Uh, it's you got so then obviously you got a secondhand car. Well, yeah. Oh well. No, they didn't say that, but that's where it was going. I, I, right. you know, I got out of that conversation and went on to learn my lines. But, <laughs> I mean, wow. it's, it's really, you know. I mean, now look. Of course, I, I exaggerate, but it happens, man. More oh than no, right. think. totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even outside yeah. I mean, of Hollywood, I mean, that kind of stuff is happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. All over yeah, the I place. guess so. It's, it's again, it's uh, you know, I'm 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 into like Homo sapiens. I've I've, I've kind of shed the skin, the dying skin of even human beings. I, I'm a Homo sapien. We're all Homo sapiens. I look at it like like I look at monkeys and zebras and dodo yeah. birds, you know, and tigers and elephants. I mean, you know, we I don't think we have any kind of natural instincts anymore. The ones they're they're all no nos. 
You know, <laughs> can't do that in public. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Uh, can't keep up the writing and stuff, you know, and the, and 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 the, the screenplay do's and don'ts, don'ts, and you know, wow. And and who's your target audience? I don't know, man. <laughs> whoever I listens, come whoever on, will yeah. listen to me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know. You set up a little stage, you know. You get a microphone or a megaphone or something like that. You roll <laughs> up a piece of newspaper, and you start talking. You see who comes, you know. You see who leaves, you know. Forget them; they never existed. You know, <laughs> keep talking until you until somebody wants to pay you, and then you or you get a manager or an agent, you know. That's one of those. Things. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what we wish we did. Yeah. That's incredible, though, man. I, I, Penny Marshall, you say is who discovered, like, who brought well, you yeah, in? But, well, yeah, she got me through by, yeah, by coming up there. She flew up there, just like all the rest. I mean, I uh, so I was kind of nice. No, I, I couch surfed from that time on for only, uh, I mean, only about a month, really. I mean, uh, and when when I was thrown, well, I was thrown out of two two places in that, so it must have been at least two months. I couch surfed. You know, a, a week. You generally could get. I could eke out three days. It was when you could hear the. I generally was a married couple, but sometimes just a, you know a, a couple who were living together, and they go, oh, "Yeah, Larry, yeah, fine." But you could hear them whispering in the kitchen, "Why did you bring that in?" And it hurts. No, I didn't. You know, so I thought, so oh, it's time to leave." You know, when she's trying to, you know, bitch at my friend for even getting me to the couch, I go, "I'm just not worthy." You know. Until I got a job. I mean, uh, once I got the agent, then he finally started sending me around, and then I started getting jobs. And so I, I immediately, the first thing you got to do is rent yourself an apartment and then buy a mattress, you know. I mean, <laughs> I went through the whole whole thing, you know, and then you just keep on going up. And then, then they, this, you start saying, why am I standing here dressed like this? Oh, I'm making a movie. I, no, no, you're not. You're, you're making the rent is what you're doing, what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, making a, true, I'm yeah. not making a movie and then you, you finally I just couldn't take it anymore and then and then by then uh I couldn't finesse my uh my challenges my my learning disabilities uh I, I, but it's really interesting I I have uh, I have three two mildly and one not mildly uh OCD ADHD and dyslexia Oh, wow. So this dyslexia, I, I, yeah, dyslexia, yeah, me, me and Kanye West, you know, we're, we're together, <laughs> me and him are buddies. Uh, so, uh, so, but, but uh, the, the the OCD and the dyslexia sometimes, if I have to write a screenplay, I won't put it down until it's finished. So that's kind of cool. Like, I, I finished the screenplay while I was sequestered for covid I was just locked in my house. I'm great, man. I'll just write my head off. It's great. Mm -hmm. uh, I would only come out to get food or, you know, meet somebody secretively, but maintaining distance, you know, because I have gray hair. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's really weird. I just got offered a part in New York, but I, I just won't. The airports, I, 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 I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't shake that COVID I got I got that COVID PTSD. It's going around, you know. I get it. Yeah, I it get really it. is. It's, it's a scary world out there for sure. Uh, right? it's, it's, uh, yeah. So when this is all over, it's going to be weird to re retrain yourself. Everybody just start 
crawling. That, by the way, that's the way to get rid of PTSD. Nobody will do it. But I didn't know this. I just found this out recently. I've been finding out that when I was born, there wasn't such a thing as PTSD or a dyslexia or OCD or ADHD. None of that's dead. I didn't come in until like the 70s, man, really, where somebody started to say, hey, wait a minute. So I didn't even know that I w was sick or weird. I just made, you know, adjustments and stuff like that. But uh, somebody just told me recently that, no, I was told a long time ago that the way that you can't get completely away from any of those three or four. I put PTSD on that line. They, they're incurable, but you can make adjustments so that you can kind of either ignore them or make workarounds so that it doesn't bother you. You can just make believe, you know, people wouldn't know you had it. And one of them was uh, for a dyslexia, an adult dyslexic, to crawl. Because it turns out somebody just told me that on babies, if, uh, one of the weird things that parents might do that damages kids that they don't know about is they try to get kids to walk too soon. But crawling is very important at the kid's own pace because it makes connections from brain to arm to leg. And, mm -hmm. and walking is too complex for them at, mm -hmm. at a certain age unless they want to. So crawling is a very important part of growing up uh, and making brain connections and stuff. But one of the things about dyslexic they found out is, though that's not the reason for dyslexia, uh, uh, not stopping kids from crawling. It's one of the cures for dyslexia, that it rewires the brain. Crawling rewires the brain. No adult will do it. It looks foolish. You have to do it, you know, for just like any other exercise. You have to do it every day, and you have to do it for, you know, I don't know 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, and slowly... So... It's really weird, and then they just found out like two or three days ago. This is how I put it all together. They found out that PTSD is made uh, copable. You can cope with things by having the vets crawl. They found out it regenders, the rejiggers the brain. And I go, oh wow, that's connected to the baby thing that I heard a couple of months ago. Wow. That's really weird. I wonder if scientists do that. Yeah, so the brain is very... <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that. The brain is really plastic as heck. But I don't know homo sapiens if they know how to use it. Uh, uh, a scientist no. once told me, he said, our, in, our curiosity has way outstripped our intelligence. And I thought that was the coolest thing anybody's ever told me. That's, I think, where we're at. It makes and, perfect you know, sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, dinosaurs, you know, the Tyrannosaurus, all those people, all those things. They had brains no bigger than a cat's brain. But they were here for 75 million years before the meteor hit. Do you think we're going to make it that long with the big brain that we have? No. Come on, man. <laughs> it's these brains that'll be our own destruction. Get serious. Yeah. I mean, we can't Get even manage serious. toilet paper consumption. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> That's like you said last yeah, week, Jeremy. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Homo sapiens, we think we're not a species. Yeah, that's we don't exactly care about yeah. the Earth, about the planet. We don't, we are, no, we're human beings. They're species. Yeah, like elephants, like tigers, like dodo birds. <laughs> Like tuna fish, like uh, swordfish, you know, yeah, exactly like the species. You know how many species have disappeared before we showed up? <laughs> I don't get the hubris that, that uh, 
you know, I'm going into the things that I've been exploring. You see, this is what I'm exploring now. This is the future. I mean, I'm just talking about it now. But, but, but I mean, that, that's my interest. That's where my interest goes. You know, I watch Nova. I see, I watch the news. You know, yeah. I can't get sucked into, like, you know, I watch the news in Nova. And, uh, but not only that, I read uh, here and there. Blah, blah, blah. But I come from a different generation. I mean, digital, there's digital and pre-digital. I come from pre-digital, you know. Right. Went to the classics, you know. I grew up on on Don Quixote. I mean, that, that was a story, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's funny, uh, you know, uh, you know us, we, go, we grew up in the, uh, you know, our childhoods were in the non-digital age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the digital age really hit, uh, I'd say, around, uh, at least for me, leaving high school. And to think of life uh, before and after, two completely different. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's hard to even explain, yeah. you know, just how connected we are. And how everyone thinks now their opinion matters. You know, that's the biggest. <laughs> they all have something to say. <laughs> hey, I'm going to start well, yeah, a podcast. Yeah, hey, has nobody has careful. Yeah. yeah. What a what a fucked world we live in. I mean, it can be fun though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until it until it isn't. I don't think Americans understand because everything's been so cool. We're really for forty years we've been going down a toilet, and then oh, this doomed. guy gets yeah. in. <laughs> but but I mean, he didn't just just waltz in, even though he just waltzed in. I mean, we were so deadened to that kind of a, a personality that yeah, sure, he would make a good president. Even if he thought that for fifteen seconds, I mean, it was forty years of of you know, just massaging you into into a, a sleeper. No, you're not a species. You're human beings. You know better. You're intelligent. You're curious. You're cool. You're, you know, digital. Hey, man, instant. Great. And so, yeah, great, man. And so it totally cut off. You know what they found out? They found out, you know, they can take pictures now from the Earth. You know, the, all those satellites that are going around taking pictures, you know, spying on everything and everybody <laughs> right. and everything. Well, they they found out that there's other uses than spying, you know, just like they found that there's other uses than war to find out how to operate and put a bone back in. You know, you don't have to blow somebody up to do that, you know. Uh, so <laughs> you can just make an incision. It's easier. It's cheaper, too. Um, so, so now they're focusing on other things that are kind of helpful. Well, you know, smart. So they found out color is a really weird planetary earth thing that is not seen on any other planet that we can find out red green blue on the surface that doesn't exist anywhere in the universe that we know of except here so they're using it so then when they just look for that which that's easy i mean they can tune a camera to just pick up red red vibes red uh, you know bounce back whatever that's called um yelling i think it's called uh, so they, and then they, then they can take these cameras and zoom way down in, you know, like to see what, what is red that, except that's man-made that that's the word I guess they're looking for. So in the middle of the desert, they've wow, it's flowers, man. It's, it's an o- oasis. And maybe somebody planted it. I mean, that, but they can get down that close that to see, close, right? Oh, that yeah. red patch is flowers. So, but it's only only living things that can do that. So here's the here's the point of this all. So they're going around. They got all these cameras and look all green and brown. And you know they even 
found a penguin poop. They found patches of brown, huge enough for these cameras to pick up. Because, you know, they, they huddle together through the winter. Right. They have to move because the, they only stay in one place until they have to move because the, where they're standing is brown. So they move to, so there's this, these round patches about almost, uh, you know, about 15 blocks big that move down the coast, you know, blob, blob, blob. And that's penguins moving, you know, during the winter. So they found out that there's, there's patches where there's no color at all, which is kind of weird because Earth has green all over. I mean, we're, we're a planetary biological planet. Uh, what is it? Uh, flora kind of planet, if not fauna. So they found out that the gray patches are disappearing. I mean, uh, the color patches are disappearing. And they look down and go, oh, it's uh, Levittown. It's New York City. It's New York State. It's We're graying the earth. From uh, space, hmm. a city looks gray. It doesn't it, well, it only, I, for some reason, maybe it's the camera or the vibes that come out, but color in a city becomes gray, not the colors of each top of the house or, you know, a parking lot or whatever, blue or green or the cars. No, it's gray. And they're seeing, so they're seeing that the, the color, you know, like intense color, I'm talking about intense green, intense blue, intense, water, flora, you know, uh, yeah, I guess it's just water, uh, earth, or uh, greenery, you know, and, and that, that's it. Uh, well, flowers, you know, red and those different colors. And that's growing. And even the people who were not into what I'm talking about, they were into just the color part of the, they were into the lenses, really, and the science of it. And I'm thinking, well, man, we're like really cementing ourselves out of a corner. There will be no corner left. It'll just be all cement. Yeah. There's no place else for it to hide. I mean, now, now that's exaggerating, but no, I, I'm, I'm serious. You know, with, with the, the mercury in the water, and I mean, we're just as, as, a, as a species, we're not very smart. I mean, we're no. not survival. <laughs> and the, I mean, as a species, the bitch of it was we think as we human are. beings, yeah. we're fine and dandy, you know, but as a species, no. No. It's so funny you said that earlier because I remember growing up, and I don't remember. It had to have been in elementary school or something, but being taught there's human beings, there's plants, and then there's animals. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, even yeah, as yeah. a child, I was like, Isn't that Wait, strange? what? <laughs> Wait, why? Well, we've got to be one or the other. And I'm not, I don't have any leaves on me. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, we're just, uh, we're, we're too complacent because we don't believe anything bad can happen. We think Norman Rockwell is here, always, everywhere. No. I mean, we just no. How can Russia be? No, they can't. They can't be that bad. Or, or how, no, they can't hack a, a reporter to pieces in a hotel. No, no, Saudi Arabia is not that evil. No, man, it's cool. We're okay. It's fine. It'll go away. Everything will disappear, including the species. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Sorry to true. go on like this. I'm so no, sorry. no, I am enjoying every yeah. word of it. The the only oh, okay. thing I'm having problem with is how to go into stuff you've been asked a million times after such a good conversation <laughs> no, no, like that. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I enjoy either either one. What I'm talking about is, you know, there's see, there's Larry Hankin, who uh, I went on the show to be. You know, they're going to hang out with Larry Hankin. But there's me. 
And me is not Larry Hank, and me is the guy I mean, we've been talking to for the last 10, 15, 20 minutes, I don't know how long, but that's me. That's just me. There's nothing to do with show business. That, that's if I wasn't in show business at all and you didn't want to talk to me, I'd still be thinking that or, or writing it or telling my friends that, you know, or, or in a booby hat somewhere. Talking to, yeah, they would be interested in it anyway, I, I, I think, and whatever. You just talk about what people are interested in to me, which is what happened, what's happening now. But when people want to talk about that, that's a person that I have volunteered to be. Right. You know, I can drop out anytime. Uh, but now, it's, what you guys are interviewing, as far as me goes and Larry Hankin, I'm trying to turn the page. I don't want to turn into, I think his name is George Reeves, Superman. You know, that yes. guy who played... Was that George Reeves or, or somebody else? It was George Reeves. Reeves. You're talking Alex. the man who he uh, killed himself, right? He committed suicide. He yeah. committed suicide because nobody would hire him because he was Superman. So I'm trying to kind of walk away very gently uh, from Mr. Heckles and uh, old Joe and um, who was the third guy? Yeah, uh, Tom Pepper. You know, but I, I could kill them. You know, I could just refuse to talk about. It. But no, that's part of no. They're they're. This is the second stage. In other words, when in the seventies, when I was doing, like somebody from Philadelphia or whatever, yeah, that girl thing, the big hit, uh, I, I did that, and then I did, you know, that girl, and blah blah blah. But I did homeless people, and I was getting to be known as a homeless guy. But that wasn't that wasn't by chance. I was thinking about when I was seventy. I was like, I think third twenty-five or something like that. I don't know. Uh, and um, or, or 30, I don't remember, but I do remember thinking, I want to be working when I'm 70. And so I'm going to start developing a character that I was going to be when I was 70. Because I saw this. Uh, in, in 1970, I saw this, however old I was. I, I saw this. I was, at, I was uh, in a stage play, and I was watching television, and I saw a famous actress from black and white movies as a mom in a sitcom on TV. I think it was a, almost a black and white t sitcom, uh, whatever. But even Lucille Ball, who was, uh, yes, a mom. She, didn't she have kids? Or, you know, Lucy, Desi, Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz. Did she have any kids? No, but, but in other words, she was a TV mom, even. She was a big star. You know. Okay, so I thought, oh, wow, when... When big movie stars, females, become 35 and older, that's the glass ceiling. They can't make movies anymore. They become TV moms. Mm -hmm. And I would see it all through the 70s and 80s. Bam, bam. So I started watching guys in the 75s. That's, you know, 1975. And the same thing was happening over then when 55. Boom, dads on TV. I go, no, I'll kill myself before I do that. No, <laughs> because, yeah, because here's the, the, the bottom line. Is I never wanted to be an actor. I was always looking to pay the rent and hang out with the guys, the funny guys. Right. That's all I wanted to do. And if they were going on a stage, I want to go on a stage. I just want to be with the funny guys. That's all, because they were intelligent to me. They were talking about real stuff that was on the street. I mean, Lenny Bruce was just talking about street stuff. He wasn't cursing on stage. He was talking about what everybody was saying, you know, outside of the nightclub. Right. You know, in those, those days, you, you couldn't curse in the nightclub. Now the only place you can, well, even on TV, frontal nudity and stuff like that. But 
anyway, so that's that was the, uh, the, the 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 thing that I just wanted to do. It just be with the funny guys. I didn't want to be an actor, so I was doing the sitcoms like Laverne and Shirley. Even even I I, I have a here's where I'm coming from. My sister, who lives in Florida, she sent me a some old drawings that she found in a trunk. Uh, you know, do you, you want this, Larry? And it was a drawing, and it was and it was uh, had my my name on it. I drew it. I mean, I recognized it, but the, it was dated 1976. And in 1976, so I know exactly now that I, I recall because I remember that painting, that that, that drawing, drawing eight by ten, uh, of an old guy named Emmett Demas. It was an old guy, me. It was a caricature of me. I'm a good drawer. I mean, I did go to art school. So it was an old guy, and in, in uh, it was Don Quixote on a motorcycle. That's what I drew. Me as Don Quixote, but with a bicycle helmet, with a hanger, with, with you know, ribbons on the top of it, like a, like a knight would have, you know. But it was a, it's a coat hanger that he tied to a... a, a bicycle helmet, and then he had a jacket on with, with just anything pinned on it, just any kind of metal that he could uh, find or any kind of pin, just sort of look, you know, you know, the, the, a rainbow or a first class or whatever, you know, like a biker. And he rode a, a motorcycle with a sidecar. On, the, on this particular painting or uh, drawing, he was on a motorcycle. But that was in 1976, and I was 30 or something. But I was thinking about the future because of these TV fathers. So when I did all these God things and old homeless people, I had nothing to do with acting. What I was doing really very consciously was trying to get the job to see what I look like as an old man on TV so I could write for myself now for when I was 70. And now, you know, that I'm older than 65, now I have the screenplay, which I wrote five years ago, about that guy that I drew in 1976. But wow. it was all blind. I wasn't, yeah, but it was all kind of blind. It was like, it's, I know where fate comes from now. Because it was not, it was semi-conscious. I didn't really think I would be that guy. I was just thinking of something to do that afternoon about what if I didn't want to be a TV dad, I'll draw it. But I didn't think because I will look back on this and it will be an omen that I knew that, no, I don't know anything. So, but that's where the uh, theory of fate comes in. And maybe it is fate. Maybe I did know something. I knew it was something that I dreamed about being my own person, not working for somebody who wrote a part that came out of his head, but that came out of my head. Allen Ginsberg said, you know, totally the rule, the first rule of writer, get it out of your head, on the page, raw as you saw it. Mm. You can do with it what you want after that. You don't have to show it to anybody, but get it out raw as it comes. That's the most important thing I ever, ever read about writing. Looking at, you know, and then the other thing is a little piece of you in every character. You know, just for the truth of it, just for the truth, just so you know something nobody else knows, you know, and you give it to that character, you know, give it to him. That's you know, so, you know, yeah, yeah, I yeah, love hearing I the process. yeah, process is where I'm at. That's the whole thing. Process, not that winning, the, winning the medal, but how do you, how do you? 
get there, you know, even to compete, you know. Sure. Have you seen this a documentary about called uh, The Weight of the Gold? It's on uh, Netflix or PBS or it's on the internet or television. No, I think it's no, on television. No, check that out. What's it about? Well, check it out. It's called The Weight of the Gold. What it is is they followed the winners of gold in the Olympics. So they got all, you know, they had, you know, that guy who got the six medals for swimming and shit. But you got two and three medal winners. And they followed them after they quit Olympics. And they said all of them nearly killed themselves, and many did. Because really? it's like postpartums. Yeah, it's like postpartums with women. Now I understand why women get postpartums. It's such a buildup to the birth. It's such a buildup to the gold that once you are over with and you're still alive, you have no idea what to do with your life. Mm, I mean, you're, you're practicing every day, thinking about it, feeding it, going to doctors for broken ankles, for medicine, for mammograms, for this and that, and then nothing. And then everybody's paying attention to your fame or your baby. And you're out of it, man. You're not needed anymore. The doctors are taking care of, you know. Blah, blah. So, yeah, I mean... Well, it's a documentary about all the medal winners, what they went through for the five years after they won. And it's just terrific because you see what quote unquote fame really does to you. It's not the money that makes you greedier and greedier and stupider and stupider, but it's the aftermath when the parade passes and you're left with yourself and you've never been with yourself, yourself. Right. This person who got the gold, how do you prove that to yourself? No, you're worthy. You're a worthy person that you just did that. Well, can I do anything near that? No, you're too tired. You're too beat. You're too, you're too wasted. You gave all. Yeah, you gave your you entire really self to your previous you goal. Gave, right? you, because of the, 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 the competition, not, not the actual doing of the job to get the gold, you know, the last race, the last vault jump no it's it's the competition to get in the spot where this is the i either do it or i don't get it this the competition you got through the aim the, the focus the focus man. and that's the key to everything man, is focus and that's what ocd adhd and dyslexia fucks with sure my focus and that is something that you know when i do get it or when I can cope, or I have various ways of looking at something, where I get the focus back. What musicians call the groove. Right. It's mm. the groove. And if I can hit that, you know, without drugs, without anything, which is what, you know, those athletes may or may not, I, I don't know how that, that goes. You know, you, you hope for the best, that they're doing it with the best of intentions, and they're not too drugged up doing that stuff. But, but and somebody's passed enough tests that they're clean then that's that's the best you want to be you just you just want to be better i see that's the, the best is the enemy of the better i think you know there's an old saying you know the the good the the, the best the perfect is the enemy of the good you ever hear that expression well all athletes know that you got to fail before you win yeah, athletes you know you know you don't want to if you can't fail you can't win you know, and then the other one is the, um, you know, the, the good is the enemy of, the, the perfect is the enemy of the good, just like the best. If you want to be the best, no, just 
try to be better than you are right now. Yeah. And you'll get there, but if you want to be the best, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> you know? What are you comparing that against? First or last? Yeah, I mean, to what? <laughs> you, know, you know, best according to what? Him? So you think he's the best, the guy with the gold medal? You want to be better than him? No, be better than you. Right. Yeah. When you get there, be better than you, you know. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's you know, it takes uh, dedication. and It ain't easy, man. It, it ain't easy. I can't it, imagine. It, 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 but, you know, yeah, but, but nothing is. I'm not talking about entertainment or sports. I mean, they're just examples, easy examples of what I'm talking about. Sure. But, but no, it's just that you want to be a ditch digger. You want to, you want to just want to do it better. That's all. You know, I, I've, I've dug ditches and, and figured out, I mean, not all the time. Maybe I did it once. But in digging the ditch to make it a ditch as opposed to a shovel full, I figured out how to shovel a little better, you know, right. until I got the ditch done. I just didn't do it stupidly and, you know, throw <laughs> right, sand back into the other end of the ditch. By the time you were Yeah, done. you know, you just want to do it good. You know, you just want to, maybe it gets you through faster. I don't know. But it, there's, a, there's a completion, there's an honor, there's a gratification, there's a self. It's a self. It's a, you know, people boo you off stage. I'm just thinking, no, I'm not bad. I'm thinking, where are you at? Oh, I get it. You're not my audience. I'm looking right. for a laugh, not a bottle, a beer bottle and a, upside, you know, an upside down beer bottle and a fist. That's what came at me. No, I'm That's not really looking good for advice. that. Really good advice to take to the thing. Because, I mean, how many people have got up in front of an audience the first time it wasn't the right audience Mm. and was immediately put off? Yeah, so you've got to find your audience. Yeah. That's the other, you've got to find your audience. That's the challenge. That's your job. Not to be talented. There's no job. You can't be talented. You got what you got. You're born with it. You got it. You You can get more. Of, of other stuff that'll help it, but you got to But deal with what you got, man, because nobody else got it. Yeah, what you got, nobody else got. I mean, <laughs> is there anybody else that even looks like you or talks? You know, I mean, I, I you know, and I don't understand. Yeah, I just, and then when I do get to the point where I can't think anymore, it's just I go, but you know, how do you explain that to somebody? How do you get? I mean, there's good stuff going on. I, I do see it. Nova is really kind of cool at that. They'll tell you what's wrong. Uh, in the beginning, and you go, oh my God, and they get you really depressed. Uh, and the, but then they they show people working on it. They show, well, yeah, but here's the solutions. Yeah, We're not see. there yet, but at least somebody are working on it. And that's what gets me to, oh, cool. All right, I'll tune in next week. You know, they, <laughs> they show me the problem. Yeah. Yeah, they show me the problem, and I go out, you know, but like we're, we're waking, wearing masks. I live in a beach community, you know. So the, the, the umbrage of people who say, I've got a right to not wear a mask, or somebody who said, I know I can't prove wearing a mask works, but you can't prove that we're not wearing a mask doesn't work. And that's proving a negative is very hard. But, but so they, they don't want it because they say, I'm not going to wear a mask because it's my right not to wear a mask. It's nothing to do with your right. It's 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 not even an obligation. It's a hu- a human thing. It's a species right. thing. Yep. Don't you care about somebody else? I mean, but no, they don't. I mean, the answer is no, they don't. I mean, th- that's not a query that begs a- an answer. That is 
No, they don't. And they know it and you know. Yeah. And and so that's where we are right now, not not where a few people are. One third of the United States knows it and doesn't care. Thank God there's the word yet. That's yeah. that's the only hope. That's the yeah, only that hope. I want to weed out the stupid really quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that well, yeah, that's what everybody's saying. Yeah, they're, they're going to get, yeah, Darwin, you know. The, the hope, you know, hopefully, yeah, but then the 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 wrong die young. You know, yeah. you got the stupid left. Yeah. You know, and then they're just going to die out. You know, I mean, they they can't survive because they don't know what to do to keep them alive. You, they, they proved that by letting the people who did know. Well, I guess they didn't know how to stay alive. I guess to stay alive is to eat the people. Hey, here's the thing that I, <laughs> you know, one two people among ten will starve to death. Or can starve to death. Three people among seven will eat the other. Uh, well, what is it? Four to survive. That's that's an old Arabian uh, or Muslim or Eastern. You know, Eastern. I don't know. It's an Eastern saying. I think it's ten. Ten and they said that twenty-five and five. They said one in twenty-five um, will starve. Two in twenty-five will starve. Three in twenty-five will starve. Five. Among he's hungry. That, that I, I left out the word. So one hungry man among twenty-five will start. Two that are five hungry men among twenty-five will kill the rest and eat for food. That's an old saying, you know. But you know, when you just you know when you're sleeping and you just got sand and everything, I guess you get angry. <laughs> you know, I, do that I know I'll be eating. Uh, no, but 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 there's a there's a truth in it, even though they took it to its stupidest conclusion. See, that's the thing about logic. You can take logic to a stupid conclusion. That's what's called humor. It's called satire. If I keep doing what you tell me, Mr. President, uh, you're going to get stupider, and I'm going to get stupider. I'm, we're going to kill everybody off. In other words, I get your logic, but your logic is a lie in this situation. So you can say, yeah, well, I was talking about the other thing. Oh, well, then you were telling the truth. But to say that, you know, what's that, a cue, medicine thing, you know, oh, that, that yeah. for COVID? Oh, You know, God. he was telling us, you know, take yeah. that, the cue, whatever. So what's a medicine? Yeah, that lady who kills chickens for religion. I mean, she, she's <laughs> even touting it. <laughs> you know. And, 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 you know, and she's saying, you know, so he's, so he's telling us, yes, this is a good medicine, but not for this disease. It cures whatever that other thing was. That's what it's good for. But just because it's a medicine, so you're not lying if you're talking about that disease. But to say that this good medicine and then couple it with COVID, no, that, that's, that's lying. But you, and you're, if you're coming back at me with your argument, that's why the Democrats shouldn't argue with that guy. Because he takes things and twists it to, he believes you're as evil as he is. Right. He thinks he's arguing with an equal, you know? Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I won't even speak his name, you know? Yeah. And, and thank and, you for uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, if you wanted to talk about, you know, anything in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, I'd, I'd be happy to. I'm curious because it also gets out a lot of things for me that well, have bothered me about that. Yeah. I mean, the questions I had, you know, again, were things that you've been uh, touched on, you know, you've touched on so many times. And I don't even think at this point I want to. People know why you're but here. But it's the same question. 
Okay, Here, here's the thing about Fellini. Fellini said this. Uh, you know, I once met, and Carl is always, oh, who's my friend? Carl is always, hangs out with, or did at one time, um, Spielberg, you know, the, the director. Mm -hmm. So he used to tell me these Spielberg stories. So here's the, here's a Spielberg story he told me about Fellini, um, uh, about the press and stuff like that, and asking questions that you know I've been asked. Uh, he, Spielberg, Fellini wanted to actually, he was in Italy, and Fellini actually wanted to meet Spielberg. And so that, and it's, of course, Spielberg wanted to meet Fellini. But Spielberg was just as nervous as you or I would be meeting Fellini or Spielberg. He didn't know what to say to him. You know, he'd saw, seen all this movie and blah, blah, blah. So he thought, well, I'll just ask him a question about his movie. You know, why did you do this? That's like a starter. Right. So he said, oh, Fellini, you know, I, they shook hands. And he said, can I ask you a question? Fellini said, yeah, sure. He said, okay, you know, um, well, well, when I read all your interviews, I've noticed that they're not the same answers, that you're giving different answers. So is that them not sure. quoting you right, or are you lying to them, uh, the, the, the interviewer? And Fellini said, you know, when you get asked the same questions over and over and over again, it makes for a boring interview because the interviewer knows the answers already to these questions. He mm -hmm. feels obligated to ask them because the other newspaper asked them. So, so he's asking you the same question. So when it comes out, the interview is boring. You're boring. He's boring doing it. And he's bored doing writing it. So what I do is I change it up. I never tell the same story because then they get interested. They think they got a scoop each time I tell somebody else a different story. So I always get an interesting interview. Boom. So that, that's the thing about, yeah. So I could be lying to you enough. But, but the stories that I tell you about me are interesting enough for me because I'm writing a book about it that it's good for me to tell these stories over and over because I really get the story straight. Not the funny story, the real story, which is much funnier, you know. Uh, so it is, always. I just appreciate and, uh, you coming on here and being real with us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know how to do anything else. That's yeah. the other, that's the downside. I, I can't be anything else. Uh, this is just like so, such well, a refreshing, well, no, this is just like such a refreshing conversation and just talk here that it's I, like, I don't even want to go there. Now. Right, like, right. I just want to keep it going the way it is. Again, if people oh, are okay, listening, fine, people yeah. know why they're here, why they're here listening to Larry Hankin. I'm okay. Here's a question for you. I, I, you're right. In all yeah. your other interviews, you typically always respond differently. So every time I listen to uh, one of your interviews in preparation for this, each one, uh -huh. I, I took something new away. Something again, new in every one. But oh, I, oh, right. I heard you in uh, well, one of your interviews say that you were thinking about doing a podcast called "The History of Larry Hankin." Is this or something to that effect? Is this something that is going to happen, or is taking any kind of form? Um, actually, yeah, and that's a good uh, history. I'm writing it down now. History of L.H. This year, Larry Hankin. That, that's a really good book. Yes, I remember talking to you about it, or talking to someone about it. Um, yeah, what I did was I started doing podcasts for El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie. Right. Uh, so they wanted me to do podcasts for that. I never had done podcasts before. Uh, but it coincided with this thing that I started to get. In other words, I died out in the 20,000, 000, 000, 25 to 20,005. And I started getting, because of the replays, you know, and digital came in. 
I started uh-huh. to replay a lot of stuff. So I started getting repopulated just on my past history. I was still making movies, but I was still, now there was replay. So around 2015, I got became very popular. And also, um, I started to, uh, now I wanted to get out and thinking of uh, waiting until I get old enough to do Emmett Demas really correctly. I did El Camino and they wanted me to do podcasts. I didn't know what to talk about. So, of course, everybody talked about my old past. That was fresh. I was on the upswing. So I did a lot of podcasts for El Camino. But what they really wanted to talk about, because they hadn't seen it, but they really wanted to talk about was Breaking Bad and all my past stuff. Right. So I started to learn about me because I never listened to that stuff. I mean, I watched it when it came out, you know, but that was just like doing it. And then in a couple of weeks, I would watch it. You know, I didn't right. bank it or anything. <laughs> so, um, uh, so so I, I was just very current all the time, very current. But when I got to El Camino, they, I started to have to look back on the 70s, 80s and 90s because of the questions. I started to look back and I started to put together. It was like, I'm telling you, it was like therapy. It was like talking to, that's what you do. You talk to somebody and what he's doing is he's listening. It isn't what I think therapy is. I've gone once for a little while. <laughs> but I think you get to hear you. you. You get to bounce something off. He tells you, you know, well, what about that thing about your father? What about your brother? He once said, you know, one of the, he once said, I was just going on and on. I noticed he was laughing. He's at the, in a psychiatrist's office. I know she was laughing. I'm going about my father and stuff. He was a very bad, bad, bad guy. And uh, so he's laughing. I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm laughing. I go, he goes, what do, you, what do you mean you're laughing? I'm pouring out my heart here about my dad, and you're laughing? And he goes, why? What, what, what about is you're laughing? And he goes, Larry, you don't think what you're telling me about what your father is saying to you and obviously has been doing to you, I mean, you know, this passive-aggressive shit, that you don't think that's funny? I go, no, I don't. And he goes, well, you're going to have to keep coming here until you do. And I thought, there's another guy told me a great thing. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, it has to be funny, but real. But funny, look at it. Change your point of view, man. Don't be, a, you know, PTSD. You think, you know, the enemy is right behind you. He isn't. You know, you're an ice cream polar. You know, yeah. don't worry about it. So uh, it's that kind of... Stuff. Those are the kind of coping mechanisms. That if you have dyslexia, that's what you have to do. I have to think it through before. I, like for instance, if we decided to do something, whatever it is, but we discussed it here, you know, blah blah blah. Okay, that's a great idea. Okay, this that. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, cool. And I'm I'm going along with it. I'm going. Yeah, that's so great, man. When I wake up tomorrow around this time, generally, but if I wake up tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to have a whole different point of view. Okay. I mean, I may or may not agree with the things that I said, yeah, to that's great. Because for some reason, my mind while I sleep picks out the flaws and the loopholes of the logic we just went through. Just, you know, just throwing shit around, you know, pop, right. pop, 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 pop. Just, uh, you know, not, not, and then that's really, you got to do that. You know, don't be negative. Let's just throw around good ideas. Don't, don't, downplay anything that's great write it down boom 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 tomorrow that that's what this put put it put your screenplay in a drawer your book in a drawer for a while so i have been putting it in a drawer but all those stories i told to the podcasters i've been calling somebody and saying can you record me once a week 
for the stories that I told to podcasters, you know. And the guy says, yeah. So we've been doing it for two, two almost three months now. I've been calling these uh, this guy who was a podcaster. Now, I call him once a week. We have these sessions where I just tell him these stories. As I remember, he even asked me, he said, okay, he'll look something up. I'll say, you know, what about this thing about something with Philadelphia? Do you know any, have any stories about that? No, I, I really don't. I don't remember too much. I remember doing it. I remember playing God. I remember I was an old guy. I remember what I had doing. But see, that flow came up because he asked me the question. If you had asked me what's something that you're really interested in in the 70s, I would never have come up with that Philadelphia thing. Mm-hmm. It's because he asked me a specific question, and I remembered it. So then when I called the guy on Saturday, he said, all right, we're going to talk about Philadelphia. And I told him the story. So I was getting in touch. But then when I, we got a lot of stories together and he started sending me them back and I started to listen to them, these stories that I tell him each week, I started to see, oh, this is my arc. In other words, if you really write something, poetry, prose, uh, whatever, limerick, Lear's limericks, if you write enough of them over a, a course of time, you will reveal yourself to yourself hmm. because you keep on writing enough, you will start to see the subconscious pattern of what your mind is interested in all the time, even though you're not thinking about it. But, and that's how a lot of movies get written. You know, the guy who directed, um, uh, you know, Adam Sandler, who uh, his comedy, I hate, but his acting, I love. And one of the first movies he made was directed by a really great director as a serious actor, Adam was a serious actor, mm-hmm. the director. Well, anyway, he, um, he said that's how he wrote, wrote that movie for Adam Sandler. He had a, something in mind that he wanted to write a movie about, looking for his next movie. And he wrote it, he, he just wrote it, he said, I want to write about, uh, I don't know if this is true, but let's just say this. I want to write about who's really too shy, maybe toxically shy. In other words, it's, 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 it's not holding them back and feel, making them feel safe. It's, it's starting to destroy them. It's, 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 not, it's, a bad, it's becoming a bad thing, you're showing this. Okay. So then he would just write down, he'd get a yellow pad, you know, yellow legal pads, and he would just write everything that came to mind off of the one word, shy, or, or, or maybe toxic, but let's say shy. To- shy. Or maybe toxic shy, or, or, or bad shy. Is any words that come to mind, you know? dead cow, whatever, you know, trumpet, whatever. You, you just start talking about uh, being shy, hiding, uh, not being able to talk, and not saying what you want to say, you know, and you start getting into it. And then your mind starts to loosen up. But you, you don't be negative. Well, I can't think of anything. Yeah, just write anything down. Get the rhythm going. Just, just the writing. Never mind what you're thinking. The last thing you want to think about is your thinking. That's the last thing, man. Oh, yeah. You know, think about your breath. And you, you think about, okay, and then he does that for about two or three days, just for fun. You know, just these days, no, no timetable. Let's do it for an hour. Or they smoke a doobie, whatever. <laughs> and then you gather all the stuff, you know. These are three, four, five, six pages. And you start to skim it, scan it, read it. You just start to take it in. This is like somebody else's. This is not you. This is like somebody else. And what happens is you start to see because your mind identifies with the sameness of the pattern. It starts to identify a pattern. Right. Now, the mind is going to make a pattern. 
everybody, everybody's not going to see the same pattern with the same list. But your particular mind is going to pick out its particular pattern. And then he starts picking out those things which fits that pattern. This is this director talking. And he's a very good director, solid. And that's what he's going to write about. And then, you know, he'll either pick a scene about this or he'll pick, a, oh, these go together, or this is a great cut from that kind of talk to this kind of topic, you know. Yeah, go from, uh, you know, a dead cow to a dead man, you know, do that kind of thing. Uh, okay, you know, to introduce a character with a trumpet, you know. Uh, so, you know, just do that. And then he wrote this movie, and Adam Sandler started it, and he, he just killed, you know. He aced it. It's cool, you know. But he's still, you know, touring Adam Sandler, still touring the country, doing his arena shows like he was a, a 15 or 16-year-old kid, you know, oh, that, that voice yeah. he does and blah, blah. Yeah, you feel sad. You know, come on, man. But, you know, when he, when he does, like, uncut gems, I, man, you know, I can't do that good. I mean, you know, I, I hope I could. I haven't but, seen know, that I, yet. I, like, was, was it amazing? Well, I like the story. I, I'm writing a screenplay. I'm interested in writing. So I, I pick apart the story. So I'm listening to it because of the story. Not, not, I'm, not I'm not listening to the story mm. of, you know, the, the combination of acting and photography and cinematography. I'm looking at it particularly to see how that character goes. In. Adam did a great job with the character he was given. And I totally understand why he wanted to do that. I was just given a role that I had to turn down because I can't fly. You know, I got gray hair. The air airports just freak me out. <laughs> but I told the the, the, the author, the, the writer of this uh, film show. I mean, yeah, I just I, I told him it's a great. I'm, I know what I'm turning down. It is a good piece of it's a solid piece of writing. You know, thank, thanks for showing it to me. Really cool. You know, but I, I just I got I got to turn it down. You know, so uh, you, you make a choice. You know, and, and, and stuff like that. So anyway, that that's I don't know what that was. <laughs> we we got there from talking about the uh all the the podcasters who are uh, recording all your stories and man i, I, oh, I hope yeah, this yeah. gets released because i would love to, again listening to the uh, episodes researching you i heard some awesome stories i didn't hear in any other one uh one about you having your oh, face cool. burnt off as a child i didn't hear that one anywhere else other than one show <laughs> oh that was no wait a minute that I remember who uh, that was. A, wasn't that a girl interviewer, a woman interviewer? There might have been a guy Female? and a girl. Yeah, I remember there was. There's two interviews that were totally different than any other interviews because I got into my life. And one of the interviews I asked about. Well, you know, are you because I had been talking about my show business stuff, or you know, who I knew and stuff, and blah blah blah. And he said. I asked them, I said, don't you want to know about any of my life at all between, you know, if I had a girlfriend, you know, in between these shows, I had a life in between those shows yeah, that I had to right. keep up, that I lived, you know, I did laundry, you know, I, I had to go to movies, I had to, you know, show up on time, pick her up, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so they got into that. So that was a good one. In other words, I did that voluntarily. I, I, I actually thought, we're on the radio. Why can't I talk about my life? Let's see if I can do that on a Saturday. You know, I was looking for, again, I'm always into process. I'm always looking for material. So the, but the other one where 
uh, where I had the that was where I, I almost died. Is that the one you're talking about? But well, it sure sounded like it to me. <laughs> I, yeah, it sounded like you were playing with kerosene in front of a furnace or something. Jeez. Oh, oh, that one. Right, right. No, that, that there's another later on in my life when I really. I the dyslexia. I say I take things the wrong way and say the wrong things at the wrong time to the wrong person. Yeah, you know, with the wrong weapons on them. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta watch that. Watch for the bulge and stuff. So so anyway, um, yeah. So the the fire and that. Yeah, we were just playing again, and I'm so lucky. There's a. That I gotta. You know, I can't, I hate to say that, but uh, but anyway, that one. Uh, that was the one where, where I just said, will you ask me something about my personal life? Yeah. So they asked me something about my childhood, and then I, I told them that one. There was another one where I told them about when I was older, when I was about 30. I was living in a village after college. No, so I must have been about 22. Yeah, 22. Tw even 21. I, no, even 20. I graduated when I was between 18 and 19. So twenty, yeah. I had a roommate. I I, I graduated with my, my my best friend in college. So we we just uh, said let's get a place together. So we did, and then he was drafted into the army. So I needed to get a roommate fast. I couldn't pay the rent. So it was a you know maybe one hundred fifty a month, and I couldn't pay it with the rent. I, you know I was starving. So I got an old buddy from uh, from Syracuse. We. I graduated Syracuse, called graduate from Syracuse, my roommate. So I got my old buddy, and he was a he was a Marine. I thought, oh, that's cool, you know, I have a Marine. He's my roommate. That's cool. But I didn't know that he had PTSD. Oh man! And um, yeah, so I told her uh, I was talking to this woman. This is the second time I had bad, bad episodes off, you know, off nothing to do with show business. And I mentioned it to her, and then I mentioned it as far as I mentioned it to you. You know, that's, and yeah, and so it, it didn't turn out too good. I mean, I'm here talking to you. So she said, well, what is it? I, I, I really, it's a long story. I really not go into it. And we were on the air. And I always feel obligated when you're on the air to, you know, be, be entertaining. I mean, sure. I, you know, I don't know what's entertaining, but, but generally if I can get a laugh, I know I'm entertaining. That, that's my way of right. knowing. I'm there. But acting seriously with the silences just kill me. Yeah. It's death to a comedian. But silence is great for, you know, it's attention. Right. So um, I was, uh, now let me see, where, where was it? So I was um, uh, telling her, and I stopped, and she said, no, go ahead. And then she said, oh, okay, I don't know, something happened that just turned a switch on in me. Something that she said or something, and I just felt, no, do this, Larry. you got to get it out of your system. It's a bad thing. I mean, for, for, uh, not a bad thing in the, in the scheme of life. It's just a bad thing to carry around and not tell anybody about. It's just where, you know, it's just a, one of those weird things. You say the wrong thing, and you get somebody mad, and all of a sudden, you're looking at death, you know. Boom, who, how, wow. Uh, that totally uncalled for. So, uh, you know, it is a long story. But, but uh, the, the, so I, I told her that because in the back of my mind, I thought, if I can tell her this, if I can force this out and make some sort of sense out of it, some story, get a story then i can tell it to the guy on saturday and that would be great for the book and that's oh. what i was thinking of now there's i'm always thinking of the next thing i'm not where i am which i think is a good part because well maybe that's why I, I, it's a hard time for me to focus is because my mind is always on the next thing you know i'm mm -hmm. always too far ahead 
Yeah. It's always good to my think like that, stuff. though. I mean, there's been many times. Well, yeah, sometimes. Show, like we we had a we had a celebrity interview, which I'm not going to say some time ago that in the middle of the call went really south. No, this guy was yeah. treating us just like garbage. And as quickly as I wanted to reach over and hang up, I thought, hold on. You've always been wanting the opportunity to practice, you know, recovering from some of the toughest situations. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine yeah, a situation yeah. getting much tougher than this. So, right. man, I forced a smile across <laughs> my face and pushed through it and ended up, you know, I think becoming a little bit wiser from that. Uh, yeah, you know, landed on your feet. Cool. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, we never aired it. He uh, can kiss my uh, ass for all I care. But. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Exactly. No, and, and uh, I mean, I had a good protection because of uh, my my mental disabilities, my mental challenges, in that when I was on the stage at the open mic night, one was the audiences in open, that's why I talk about them a lot. They're a godsend to me anyway, because they're very polite. You get five minutes. Now it's, I think it's down to two. But back in them days, I would just go make the rounds. And back in them days, it's always, you know, you had like, uh, I think, three minutes to five minutes. So I'd get up. And they knew that you only had three to five minutes. So they would sit and wait for you to get off. Even if you were terrible, they could they could sit and wait. You know, I didn't have to boo. Right. You know, why, why, why bring negative things there? So they would just sit there, and that, and I would be up there. So it's me up there, and they're just sitting there looking at me, you know, waiting for the next guy to go on. But I just had to get through what I had to get through. You know, I had to finish this story or whatever, get to the punchline. And then I got off, you know, and the next person come on, and boom, they started all over again. You know, ladies and gentlemen, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that was really kind of them because they let me finish my thought or at least get my point out that I was trying to do to see that, oh, and then I would get off, and I wouldn't think, gee, that was really bad. I would think, ah, okay, I can do it better next time. And that was my whole mantra of getting off the stage. Yeah, I know I was bad, but I can do it better next time. Maybe I should talk faster. In other words, I tried everything until finally I get one that worked, but I never not wanted to get back up on the stage. That never entered my mind. I just thought, I'll do it better next week, you know, or... Next show, blah, blah, blah. You learn now more from your failures, twice, you know? failures than your successes, right? Well, I guess that, that, that is true. The one thing you do get from your successes, because I try to study both, is that you get a little more confidence. You know, just a little, you know, you can do it a little better the next time because it gives you a little energy. Well, I did that successfully. That means I can do it. My mantra is I got a lot of mantras. But one of it, if I can do it once, I can do it again. Even if I do it on a doobie, I can do it without doing it on a doobie. I mean, that's that's it. I, I may not <laughs> do harder, it perfectly but... the same time. It's a lot harder, but, man, it's worth <laughs> it. No, I mean, you know, I, I'm serious. I, I just don't trust just, like, um, I've done, I've tried to do, because I, I was in the committee, uh, that, the San Francisco committee, the Second City thing. I was in it for, well, a good seven or eight years, maybe ten years. I mean, I was in it from the beginning to the wow. end. I would take little vacations, a month here, a month there. But, yeah, I was, so I tried it on everything. You know, tried it on LSD. No, not, never on LSD. No, that was too dangerous. No, I, I tried it on um, uh, marijuana. I just tried it on marijuana. And I know, I just lost my slaves. Oh, the audience didn't know it because they know we're improvising. But, no, I didn't enjoy I didn't get the fun out of it. You know, I was, I was fighting for, you know, keeping focused and stuff like that and uh, it didn't make me looser it made me more nervous 
that I would lose my place or something like that. But of course, you know, I'm not normal to begin with. You know, I've, I've got this uh, challenge, this learning challenge. Sure. So I'm always asking questions. Uh, so yeah, I'm always, you know, well, the the upside is you you have a lot of choices. You can, I can choose this one or that one, and, and meanings. You can tell me one thing, and I will listen three different ways. You know, that's why the internet is the the bane of <laughs> dyslexics. So many choices, and then I make more choices from the choices. So I, I misinterpret. I'll, I'll click on buttons that I shouldn't be clicking on because, well, the logic of it seems to be click on this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, I, I don't do it a lot, but I do it enough to get myself PO'd, you know. God damn it. And it's you know. easy to get so sure. mad because, like you said, you, you, you follow your logic, and there's so many people out there who make clickbait, who take advantage of logic mm, and your yes. instinct yeah. and put their clickbait crap up there. And it's just, <laughs> you just get to the point where, like, I'm not messing with this. I'm, I'm fucking done. Next thing you know, you're in the dark web. No, I speak for yourself. Yeah, I haven't yeah. found myself there yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even uh, even uh, the, the the seemingly you know legitimate businesses right. have imitations that they try to fool you. You know, I've had a lot of people call me about uh, Apple, Target, uh, Amazon. You know, fake, fake. They're, they're faking. But uh, yeah, you know, click click one now. <laughs> Click yeah. two if you don't want to click any but clickers. You know, click this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to click that one. I don't want this bullshit anymore. Exactly. <laughs> click this if you don't want bullshit anymore. Click. <laughs> oh, my God. I really. Hey, listen, I got I to gotta get out of here. I can't hang out anymore. I got, I got a meeting. Fair enough. Is that okay? That's fine. That? Yeah, we have to get going ourselves anyway. But I just wanted to, uh, one, thank you again for being here and uh, remind our listeners really quick to go to uh, the realllarryhankin.com, check out paintings, shorts, oh, everything Larry's got going on. Larry, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, man. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, thank you. T shirts, even. T shirts. Yeah. I oh, yeah, with your paintings on them. Yeah, my paintings on T-shirts. Which are fantastic. Yeah, but uh, thank you guys. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, everyone. And there was our interview. I don't even want to say interview. That was our conversation yeah. with uh, Larry Hankin. And, uh, man, I can't say enough. You know, there's been so many times we've done interviews like this with people. And, uh, you know, we prepare the interview and everything goes right the way the interview should. And I'm not complaining about that. But I get what I'm expecting, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. This was one of those interviews that just immediately you know everything I've written down here isn't going to get used. <laughs> and that, again, that's not a bad thing. I prefer that because you don't know what's going to come out. And man, that was that conversation was awesome. I would have never expected that, and I'm so glad we have it. Yeah. So was... big uh, thanks again to Larry. And once again to everyone out there, go to the reallarryhankin.com. Again, paintings. This guy can paint now. Yeah. Yeah, like so many different, uh, you know, celebrities who have websites. Oh, you know, I got my paintings up there. And sometimes you go to them and they're just dog shit. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't the case. The, yeah, no, these are really, really freaking good. Uh, some funny shorts on there. Jack and I yeah, have been watching some. Good. 
all kinds of funny stuff. So again, check that out, thereallarryhankin.com. And after you do that, Jack, where are they going to go? Go to candarepodcast.com where you can see show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media, become a patron, buy some merch, see some YouTube videos, and if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. And if you like what we're doing, you want to show your support, help us keep the lights on, help us buy some merch, uh, to get back in your guys' hands, patreon.com forward slash Pod. Uh, $5 a month gets you access to the Candare Patreon pod. And, uh, yeah, we've got some new things here in studio. We've got some Candare pins. Yeah, We're going to get some pictures of these before you guys go yes. and get them on social media. And uh, we have to make it because the giveaway to get these to our fans. The patrons are just going to get one. Right, yeah. But the fans, anyone else want to get them? Maybe if you cross paths with us in public, you know, lucky enough for that to happen. Say, hey, you got, you got one of them pins? I'd be like, well, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> you reach lucky into my pocket son here. of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're going to figure out how to get these pins in your guys' uh, pockets or rather on your shirt than in the pocket. It does more of a marketing effect if it's pinned to the shirt yeah. than in the pocket. So. Anyway, I'll quit trying to be funny. Anything else, uh, Randy? Just seriously, thank you, Larry, for spending time with us tonight. Mm-hmm. It was a blast. And, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Very good, very good. Well, until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and be excellent to each other. puppy oh no don't run it'll only make things worse what remember you never want to approach a stray dog especially one that's foaming at the mouth get away from the animal as quickly as you can and tell a grown-up and knowing is half the battle hello Hi, Mr. Hankin. Yeah. Yeah, this is Randy with the Candare Podcast. How are you tonight, sir? Oh, <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. It, it says on my screen here, it says telemarketer. I don't know what you're selling. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're calling you through Skype, so, that's why. <laughs> this is, a, yeah, this, this is a, a nice way you guys got around that. Uh, okay, what are you really saying? This has been a Canned Air production. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.